Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. This is the moment you've been waiting for. <laughs> this is the I don't remember it. This I guess this is the second of the new year. Unless we put it out first. Doesn't really matter. Oh, that's right. See, you you all are ahead of us. See, it's kind of like we're caught in this mm-hmm. time warp where when we're talking, you all are already there in the future. Yeah. You're back to the future. 2022. Yep. See if that's just as wild as 2020 and 2021 have been. So if I tell my latest happenings, it'll be old news. Yeah. Okay. Still going to tell it. <laughs> so the, the most recent excitement in my life is, um, and this is December, okay? So when we're doing this, and y'all are already in January, but if you will recall back Around the second week of December, this massive storm came through the middle of the country and hammered Arkansas, Tennessee, and and Kentucky. Kentucky really took the blunt of it, mm-hmm. Mayfield, Kentucky. So I'm sure our listeners still remember that. It was a pretty big deal. It was on the news a lot. Um, your old man here and three other guys went out to to Tennessee, West Tennessee. That week, we were in the northwest corner of Tennessee, right near the Kentucky line. I was, I, I I don't know, maybe an hour away from, maybe two hours from Mayfield, an hour away from Mayfield, Kentucky. And we, we went out on a Wednesday, duck hunted Thursday and Friday, and the plan was to spend the night and come back Saturday. Well, a couple of the guys said, because when you duck hunt, you're done by three, and the ducks weren't flying, so you can quit early. You can just tell the guides we're done. So a couple of the guys said, why don't we just, Go back today. Let's just drive through. And it was like, oh, we got it. Yeah, but let's just drive back. We said, okay. You know, it was just sort of flipping. Mm-hmm. We knew they said some storms were coming. So we went back to the room, loaded up, drove back straight, nine hours, drove it straight. That was rough. Got in 11 o'clock, went to bed, didn't think anything about it. Wake up the next day, and the little town of Sandburg, Tennessee, where we were staying, was wiped out by wow. a tornado. That's crazy. Like buildings and all. Oh, done. Devastated. If you just go on Twitter and or Google and look up Sandburg, Tennessee tornado, and you'll see people with their phones taking pictures. I'm telling you that little. It's a little tiny little. It's a little tiny town. Okay, mm-hmm. small. Wiped out. Hit the fire station. They only have one Quick Mart store. Wiped it out. I've, I've gotten gas at that store. Shopped in there. Gone. And we were there. And by the grace of God. Um, we left a you know a day early. That's crazy. And you just kind of look back and say, "Man, thank you, God." I mean, because I might not be here. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. But uh, anyway, that was that was kind of my excitement. That's just insanity. Last week, I know. So uh, grateful to the Lord. Yeah. And hate it, and then hate it for all the people that uh, you know that a lot of people were killed, and a lot of people lost their homes and lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was trying to text the guides. I've been going there several years. Just or, you know, you guys okay? I don't know if they're dead, they're alive. What's going on? But the guides were okay. That's good. So, uh, yeah, anyway, what's happening in your life? Just being a dad. You're in baby world. Just vibing. Just feeding babies. Yeah. Feeding baby, I guess. He's he's sleeping now, so. Better, yeah. Better. We get up, typically, as long as it's a good night, me and her get up once, like each. So I'm usually the 3 a.m. guy. And at first it stressed me out, and now it's just like my life. Yep. It doesn't even bother me anymore. I just get up and like, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it. And then 45 minutes later, I'm back in bed and I'm good. Yeah. Well, it's good you do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Help her out a little bit. Cause yeah, it's good for her. Cause she's sort of right now stay at home mom. So yeah, she's she got, got him, him all, all day. day. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's pretty good. Last yeah, but, night he did good. He fell asleep in my arms while I played video games and read. It was pretty cute. He just laid there. Just laid there. He was whining other than that. Like, I think he just wanted to be healed. Yeah. So then I just picked him up and held him, and I sat there and played and read and did all the other kinds of stuff. You spooled him rotten. It was great, though. Wait till I get a hold of him. I know. It's wonderful. I've already rent, I've already rent three, and I'm going to rent yours. Have you set apart some time for him? Some time. Have you set apart some uh, time? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I was waiting for it, and you just handed uh, it to me. That's just... Uh, I was waiting to figure out how to say set apart. That's just pure tea. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> oh, today we're talking about sanctification, by the way. Well, it you needs to be that. set apart. <laughs> he does it every week, folks. Yes. There it is. 
Usually, he doesn't catch me off guard, but today... No, I catch you off guard. You, you caught me talking about grandbabies. So you got me on my grandbabies. That just gets me a whole nother world. Yeah, we're going to talk about sanctification day or holiness, because it's yeah. one and the same thing. Sanctify, sanctification... Holy, holiness, all the same root word. Mm-hmm. And we mean it particularly in the life of a Christian. I know we've kind of talked about the holiness of God as like a divine attribute before, but we're speaking primarily of that holiness communicated to a Christian. Yeah, so if if you would go back over our podcast, we had one episode where we talked about the holiness of God. I think it was when we were talking about the attributes of God. All right, we got another episode when your mom came on. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. That's kind of our memorable episodes when we talked about the fake holiness, if you will, yes. pseudo holiness, the man-made rules and religion, legalism. the legalism, okay, which is pseudo sanctification. And this episode goes right to the heart of authentic sanctification for the believer, mm-hmm. and and this is a really great uh, session. There's a really great theme yeah. subject because th- this this is if you are saved, this is about your life. Yeah. And you got to get a hold of this if you want to make it to heaven. And this is good news. I mean, this is like, this isn't like bad news. This is great news today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's talking about the life transforming power and energy of God in you every day, helping you to do this thing called being saved. Yeah. I like it. All right. So let's, uh, let's do our 30 second definition. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sanctification when it says this, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, which I thought like was pretty simple. That was kind of where my mind went and as, as I was thinking was this renewal in the image of God. So I, And I, I just added a little bit, which I think the catechism, I'm not very familiar with the Westminster Catechism. I think it clarifies later. But I would say sanctification is the progressive renewal of the whole man, your mind, your heart, and your soul after the image of God. How would you define sanctification? Uh, I think mine may be a little bit more practical. Uh, it's separation from what is sinful and consecration to what is right and holy. So that's what I put down. It's a that's separation good. being set apart from what is sinful and a consecration, which is a positive way of saying you're set apart to what is right and holy. You know, so there's some kind of re- removal and some kind of addition. Yeah. Somebody said it's separation from sin to God. Mm-hmm. You're separated from sin, but you're separated to God. You're dedicated to God. So it's like taking a dish that used to be used for just cooking in the kitchen and you take it out of the kitchen and clean it up and it's no longer in that kitchen for, and you take it to a palace to be used in a, mm-hmm. in a royal kitchen to serve a king. So it's been separated from something to set apart to be something more than it ever could have been before. There's all kinds of ways of talking about it. Like you could uh, kind of go with John Wesley and say it's an emptying of sin and a filling of God's perfect love. There's just all kinds of ways you can go yeah, about it. Yeah, it's 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 um it's 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 a transformation. It's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, a a removal from a confirmation to the world to a transformation to be like Christ. It's good. That's another way to say it. So, but you're consecrated to God and you belong to Him. And you're right. Absolutely. That word set apart. Uh, just a little little thing here. Um, it, we we like the word uh, holy. We talk about the word holy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the word saint is in the Bible. Yeah. Okay. And saint, like if you're in the Catholic Church, they have to determine whether or not you're a saint. In the Protestant Church, it doesn't take us but a minute. If you're saved, boom, you're a saint. So you're Saint Evan, and I'm Saint Chris. I like it. And, and saint means holy one. Mm-hmm. It means a person who's been set apart from sin to God. I like it. So that that's kind of kind of the thing we're talking about today. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing that I put that was real simple is it's God's will that you be sanctified. Like simple as that. So God tells Israel, "Be holy, for I am holy." That's that's what He tells them when He gives them the the Ten Commandments: "Be holy, for I am holy." And then the Apostle Peter quotes this as well in one of his epistles. So the New Testament reaffirms this: that the goal of a Christian is to be holy because God is holy. We're being made, <clears throat> excuse me, made like Him. Um, Paul writing to the Thessalonians says it pretty clearly: "For this is the will of God, your sanctification." <laughs> I mean, you yeah. can't get much clearer than this that. This is what God wants. Um, you know, Paul writes to the Romans, how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
And so not only is it God's will, you know, be holy, or this is my will, be sanctified, but it's almost like it's this, it's this indwelling reality. It's like, how, how could I not be? If we're dead to sin, how could I still live in it? It is, it's such a transformational reality in the life of a Christian. So as we talk about sanctification today, we're primarily talking about progressive sanctification, but I think it's helpful to break sanctification down into two categories because I think the scriptures do it sometimes. So we've got two categories of sanctification called definitive or positional sanctification and then progressive sanctification. Now, when we talk about definitive sanctification, what are we talking about? We're actually talking about what you just mentioned. It's that the Bible refers to every single Christian as a saint or as a holy one. Right. He calls every, Paul calls every Christian a holy one. The Bible calls every Christian. There is a sense in which you are objectively already holy. And the cool thing about Paul is that he's speaking to the Corinthian church. And if you know the Corinthian church, they are all kind of, they're jacked up. They got all kinds of sins going on in that church. Yet in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, uh, he tells the Corinthian church, they've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So for the Bible, and oftentimes for Paul, there's a sense in which every Christian is sanctified already, as if the work has already been done. So we have to figure out what this means. If the Corinthians, in actuality, were not really all that holy, because you know they had the dude who was sleeping with a stepmom, and they're like... They're suing one another, taking each other to court. Yeah. yeah, doing all, sexual immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols. I mean, they got all these issues. So there is a sense in which in Christ, based on our position in Jesus Christ, based on our position as a Christian, based on God's intention for our future living, we are set apart, set aside, made holy in the eyes of God, definitively, objectively, before the reality actually follows. So now I'm set, afo- set apart, I'm going to say set apart, set apart for a, <laughs> for a holy, Coleman, cut that out, set apart for a holy purpose, and um, now, <laughs> keep going, you're, you're on a roll. I'm set apart for a holy purpose before I actually begin to live that purpose out. Does that make sense? It's, it's, there's like my mind's just going in my brain that the neurons are going pow, 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 because when you get saved, you're justified, you're regenerated, you're forgiven. You know, there's all those, the, the, the ordo salutis, you know, the, mm-hmm. the order of my salvation. And, and in that there is the sanctification when I'm redeemed, there is in that the, the holiness that I made holy. Um, and, and where there, whatever step that happens, I think that's, I think that's just an argument for semantics and whatever. But but either way, the bottom line is when I get saved, somebody said you can't get more sanctified, made more holy than the moment you got saved. Because mm-hmm. at that point, you are cleaned and transformed and changed and made right legally. And I legally, think you get yeah. into a legal status and is what we're talking about. You're, you're legally, you're right before God. It's an accomplished fact. Yes. Okay, it's an accomplished fact. I am set apart now from sin. I've been cleansed. I've been forgiven. I've been transformed. I've been accepted into the beloved. I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled with God. I'm justified. The righteousness of Christ has been reckoned to my account. My sins are no longer imputed against me. Bam, I have been set apart. I am, and God sees me as holy. Bam. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's an accomplished fact. Also, it's a goal, yeah. Now, now I'm not getting ahead. We'll get there, but it's also a goal. It's a goal that I want to now maintain or continue to be what God has designated me to be. Yeah. Okay. So it becomes what I am and 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 what I should be mm-hmm. and what I will be. So the goal is what I will be because I think eventually that sanctification is completed within glorification, right. which is a whole nother thing. So yeah, this is very very important. Scholars, when I was preparing for today, seemed to to love to point out the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the greatest struggle, especially in the Pentecostal holiness movement, which you and I are a part of, um, and which is our history, 
is that there's a struggle there. If we're not careful, we err on one side or the other, thus the legalism. But even if you don't get legalistic, you feel like we err on the side of, I'm never good enough. Yeah. Okay, so I'm saved. We don't say sanctified. I'm just, I'm saved, but I'm just never, I'm always failing. failing. And there just seems to be the, the understanding that God does this wonderful work in us at salvation but he knows that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That's right. And jars of clay. Mm-hmm. And he just knows you're going to fall. Okay. But that doesn't negate or eliminate or wipe out the work that God has done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, lest I sound like I'm preaching once saved, always saved, it can. Yeah. But it, it, it isn't as if I fail and up, oh, boom. Yeah. Our, our salvation isn't that like fragile. Right. Yeah. Right. So, boom, I'm out. Oh, I got to get it back. Boom, I'm out. So the next time I repent, okay, you're holy again. I messed up. Nope, you're not holy anymore. I I repent. Oh, you're holy again. Mm -hmm. That's like a ping pong match. That's exhausting to live that way in and out of salvation. Right. So so this is where, especially with our Wesleyan Armenian understanding of, you know, there have been guys who have been extremists. uh, There's somehow, you know, where sin abounds grace does much more about. So there's grace because, you know, the guy that says, all right, so you, you holy guys, what if you sin and then the rapture takes place? Okay. Well, now you're getting in these theoretical things, but, but the point is uh, that God has given us this wonderful grace Mm -hmm. that allows us to get forgiveness for when we sin and to learn and to grow from it. Hopefully sanctification is not just this positional, but out of this position, which we'll get in the progressive. We're not there yet. I'm not there, but it's just the understanding is the grace says, not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to help you to learn from this. We're a work in progress. Yes. So I'm going to help you to learn from this and grow from this so that as, as you grow from this and repent, you'll be even more leaning towards, mm-hmm. giving more towards living the, the the life of holiness and sanctity. It will be even greater to mean more, to be meaningful, mm-hmm. okay, as you're striving. And it, and it <clears throat> seems like I'm going towards, we'll get there in a minute. But it, you got to start here. I agree. You know, and I think one of the things that, that was good for the Reformation is like what you were talking about, that that realization that I'm not as holy as God wants me to be because I'm in an earthen vessel. That's where Christ's imputed righteousness comes in that I think plays such a massive part and that Christ took all our sin on the cross and swallowed it and he gave us all of his righteousness. So he fulfilled the law for us perfectly. We get that clean record. He satisfied the righteous demands of the law to die. We get that cleansing blood and that forgiveness right there. So it, in the moments where I'm not perfect, where I'm not righteous, Christ's righteousness is still enough for me. So if the rapture takes place and I haven't had the opportunity to repent of my sins yet, God, my salvation isn't just isn't dependent on my works, it's dependent on Christ's righteousness, which I've maintained by faith, even though as a Christian, every now and then I may slip into sin. The point being that because of my faith, if the rapture didn't take place or I didn't die in the car wreck, I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to return to that Christ I believe in, and he's going to forgive me. So I've got that that righteousness of Christ to hold on to as my comfort and that I place my faith in. I think that's perfectly – it's either that or there's going to be one split second that only God knows yeah. where everybody in the world is right at one split second, and that's when Jesus will come. Terrifying. I don't. Have to, I don't want to live my life like that. Where like I just, that. I just made that up. It's just. It's a. It's a theory I have that I've just loved to play with. So. So the second thing, second way that some people will use the phrase definitive or position, really definitive sanctification is the way that you and I would typically call regeneration. And it is that, that there is a moment when I get saved where in actuality I'm made new. Like my heart is sanctified. It is set apart. It is made holy. I am made new, but it is the beginning 
of a life of real, actual, lived out holiness yeah. in you know mind, thought, word, and deed, um, and that's what we would just call regeneration. So you know, uh, the biblical language would be dying with Christ, being buried with Him, being born again. Uh, anyone in Christ is a new creation. This is when Jesus talks about you will know the tree by its fruit. So regeneration is the root, and then sanctification is the fruit. So regeneration is the moment we're born again, and everything that we think, say, or do that flows out of our regeneration is our sanctification. So you may hear those terms kind of conflated. We would typically call that regeneration. And I'm going to throw this, and sanctification is also the root, because if it is a positional work of God, then as an accomplished fact, then it also states my position. You know, the re- mm-hmm. regeneration is the is the process, but but the result is that I'm set apart from sin. So, so it's like it's not, it's like both and yes. Uh, but but that's why I said this is a great subject because it really is our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, if y'all don't get this, you'll y- y- be like a gaping hole in your understanding. Of, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. What happens in between? Yeah. This is the in between. And you know, something I probably missed out on my notes that maybe we could talk about before we talk about who affects sanctification. Maybe we need to ask why, why is sanctification so important? You know, if, if we define sanctification as leaving sin, right. And then being consecrated to God, or if we want to talk about sanctification as being renewed in the image of God, um, why, why does salvation not just stop at the forgiveness of sins? Good enough news, right? Or why, why does salvation not just be waited out on earth till God comes back? Why is this message of God saving you from your actual sin, God removing you from sin and consecrating it, uh, God renewing you in his image, God filling you with his love, why does that matter now? Before we talk about how it actually works why is that such good news, and why does that matter here in this life, in this world? So here you go. We're going to do it one more time. We're going to go back to Genesis. All right. <laughs> Don't we always? Yeah, yeah almost we, every episode. Every episode, we go back to Genesis 1, 2, 3. Mm-hmm. So God created man in his image. Yes. So man was made to reflect the image of God. Mm-hmm. Then sin comes and shatters the image. Okay. Man was made to live in the image of God. So you are made to every day reflect God. People should see you and say, you remind me of God. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. That was the plan. To literally image God. To image or reflect God, to mirror him. Mm-hmm. Um, sin shatters that. So now what God originally intends, that plan has been disrupted for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus comes and as the God-man so we just celebrated Christmas, um, is the God-man, and he makes it where we can, the image can be restored, mm-hmm. okay? And and he does this work in us where what God wanted to do originally now is put back in motion so that we can reflect the image of God once again. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son. Yeah. So that's the will of God. People say, what's the will of God? The will of God is for you to be like Jesus. That's right. If you just want to know, that's it. And if you want to know why it's so good, go listen to our last few episodes about how God and being shaped into his image is the only thing that can make you truly happy or satisfy you or fulfill you in this life, not sin. Because that's why you were made. Yeah. That's your purpose. It's like if you get a car that's sports car that's made to be driven on the road and enjoyed a convertible the top down, but you're out trying to plow the the South 40 with it, (laughs) it's not going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to be, it's not going to be happy. You're going to tear it up. And if you get out in the sin in the world, the mud of this world, you're never happy because you're not living your purpose. So this is the wise, this is your purpose. And then, like you said, then there's, then there's fulfillment. Mm -hmm. There's like, I'm, I'm fulfilling my destiny, my purpose in life. So when we, and I think when a lot of people hear like holiness type preaching, they maybe think legalism or God just wants me to act better or do better. But God's purpose in calling us to sanctification is for us as human beings to, to fulfill our purpose, to have true and eternal life. Sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death. When we call you not to sin, we're calling you not to sow death into your whole life. We're not like angrily beating the table, just saying, be better. It's like, imagine us screaming at you, like, 
stop drinking this poison or stop, you know, stop doing this thing that's actively killing you. Like we're proclaiming the saving work of God. And at the same time, uh, your sin destroys the world around you. And so we're begging you quit harming those, you know, the people in your life or the world around you with your sin. And as you sow, as God sows salvation in your own life, allow him to sow salvation in the world through you, through your, you know, actions and deeds. I think in your phrases, you know, for me to just do synopsis, why do I need to be sanctified? It's necessary if you want to have a right, maintain a right relationship with God. Why do I need to be sanctified? Because it's necessary for you to maintain a right relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to be sanctified? Because this world is filled with people who are bound by sin and the image has been shattered and you need to reflect to them, look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But... But I am transformed. I've been transformed. And look at me, see God in me, Mm -hmm. okay? And what I have, that's your destiny. You can, it's evangelism. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's not not this like ugly, hard-nosed, you see what I'm saying? It's not just this nasty legalism. It's good news. Or a laborious daily, oh, I just got to try to impress God. I got to impress God today and not fail and keep these set of rules. Yeah. Go listen to our, I keep referencing, we've got so many episodes now. Go listen to our three uses of the law. You don't do good works to impress God or merit salvation. It's just God doing some good in you. Yeah. Just saving you. It's as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. So there's a great, a lot of wise, a lot of good purpose. So now let's talk about who affects sanctification. Is it God? Is it man? Is it both? How does this actually work? No, we haven't talked about progressive. Oh, yeah. Well, we're talking about, okay, yeah, we're talking about progressive sanctification yeah. right now. Yeah, well, that's the next one. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. So, progressive sanctification, let me, let's kind of maybe define that real quick. So, if positional is, uh, you know, sanctification where God sees you as set apart and holy, progressive sanctification is the progressive living out of God's holiness in your life. It's, it's the progression of being made more and more into the image of God day after day after day. And we're not saying it's like a boom, one-time event, and you better be perfect, but it's just day in and day out. You're made more and more like Jesus, uh, you know, and, and your thoughts and your words and your actions and your affections and every part of you. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wrote some notes on this. So, yeah. so like your, it's your new life in Christ. Yes. It's it's the fact that you have been set apart from sin unto God mm-hmm. is reflected or manifested day by day in Christ-like living. So kind of like what you were saying, yes. day in, day out, is there's a Christ-like living reflecting my new life in Christ. So the old life of sin ends, Yep. okay, and your new life in Christ begins, and I'm going to say this, I think it's important, and that's reflected in obedience mm-hmm. to God, Okay. You have a definite break with sin when you're sanctified, and you have a definite commitment to holiness. Yeah. So I want to live right. I want to do good. I don't want to sin. I don't want anything. So it's transformation. Yeah. Okay? It's um, it's your moral condition is brought into conformity with your legal status before God. How about Christ that? imputes, he imparts. Ooh. Okay, good. Let me put it this way. My positional sanctification occurs because of Jesus' death, what he did for me. My positional or practical sanctification occurs because of Jesus' life, what he does in In me. me. That's good. Woo, that's good stuff. We're done. Turn it off. Turn it off. That's it. Quit the episode. I'm going to like George Costanza. Exit out of the app. I'm out of (laughs) here. He makes one good joke and leaves. (laughs) I was just waiting to share that because I was studying. I'm like, man, that's it. That's good. It's what he does for me, and then he's what he does in me. So anyway, that's good. I had to share that. That's really good. It's it's the life of God and the soul of man. So we got a a man in our church, and uh, we were fishing one day. Great guy. He's my friend. Um, and we were talking about, he He would tell you he was a heathen before mm-hmm. he got saved. He just, I mean, he was a heathen, okay? he lived, And he shared with me, he said, Pastor, I was a racist. He said, he's white. He said, I, I, I hated black people. He said, I didn't like black people. He yeah. said, I'd get in fights with them. He said, I just, I said, why? He said, I don't know. He said, I think a lot of it was just learned behavior, things people said to me. He said, then I got saved. And he said, I'm going to church here at High Praises with other black people that are my brothers and sisters. He said, we got a pastor on staff at this church, Pastor Terrence Ford. He's black. 
I said, so what happened? He said, I realized I was wrong. <laughs> I realized I was stupid. Mm-hmm. I realized I can't hate black people. First of all, it's wrong. Second of all, we got black people in this church. They're my brothers and sisters. They're my family. Yeah. He said it was a total transformation. He said, it's, it's not even an issue anymore. And that's what sin does, see? And then Jesus changes your life, and it's like, it's gone. That's that's, that's sanctification. That's real good. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of what you mentioned. Who affects sanctification? Um, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purposes. I think this passage, more than any other, paints it, it paints a picture of the tension of what it means to live for God. Essentially, that God tells us to be obedient, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and yet God takes the credit because he's the one willing and working in us. And I think it's, you know, I think it's just, I don't think they, that Paul really explains the tension there. He just kind of leaves it there. Obey as God makes you want to obey. <laughs> like, listen to God as God does the work in you. Do the work as God does the work. And so there's this weird, unexplained way in which God just transforms you on the insides so that you want to, you have the power to, and you do it. He does it, and yet you're responsible to do it, yet he still does it. It's it's wild, but it's God doing it. Well, we're not robots. And and so I, I first of all, I love that passage. I'm so glad Philippians two, twelve and thirteen is there because it does say and I was reading your notes, it is God does his part, I do my part. I also agree because you wrote you didn't say this, but it's in your notes, it's not fifty fifty. Yeah. Because it's I don't I would I'm with you there. Yeah. But it is it's very clear that it's God saying, You've got to do your part. You there is a, a command there. Yeah, there's some way in which we're held responsible. He says obey. Right. But God says, it, I'll also do mine. Thank yeah. God he does. So I think sanctification is a work of God, and it's also a work of the believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, I think it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we, like, we could do a whole episode. We don't have time to just go into the whole spirit, walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh and mm-hmm. the whole battle. There is a tension. I mean, Paul yeah. in Galatians says the, the the flesh wars against the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wars against the flesh. Yeah. And it's a battle that's, that's nonstop. And I think, you know, we haven't even talked about this, but you have three enemies of your soul. You've got a devil who is tempting you to not be sanctified. Mm-hmm. We would say tempting you to sin. I would say he's tempting you not to be set apart from sin. Then you have this world, this corrupt world system with its philosophies and ideologies and concepts that are anti-God that are trying to persuade you and influence you. They don't want you to be sanctified. They want you to conform to what they believe, which is anti-God, rather than be transformed and be like God. Then you have your own flesh. If you took out the world and the devil you'd still have to battle your own flesh. Mm-hmm. And so this fleshly evil desire, the old man uh, has been defeated. And the But the Bible says you are to crucify the flesh mm-hmm. with its passions and desires thereof. So there's, Evan, there's always a battle. Yeah. I remember Lorraine Livingston said one time, you could fast and pray until your eyeballs are sunk back in the back of your head. But he said, when you came off that fast and the first good-looking woman walks by, he said, your eyeballs are going to pop back out of your head. He said, it's just human nature. It's sinful. We have to fight that, Mm -hmm. okay? And so there is a tension, and yet there's victory that God says, you're going to have to make some choices, and I think that's the key word, our choices, our decision-making, God says, I'm going to enable you. I've given you an internal presence and power, my internal presence and power, the Holy Spirit, so that you can make that right. All you have to do is just make the right decision. And that's the key right there. It's a grace-enabled. Any choice, any call to obey is a grace-enabled one. That's a good way to put it. I like that. You never approach it with a defeated mindset, and you're also never going, well, I'm not, you know, look at me. I'm so bad. I'm not good enough. I don't have it in me. Oh, I'm 100% with you. But it's not you, but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Like you've got God, his presence, his spirit in you, empowering you, the Holy Spirit literally making you holy. 
he can do it, have therefore you, you can do it. Have you ever been guilty of looking at somebody who's a really strong Christian, a Christian leader, whatever, and just admiring them to the point of you thinking, man, they're just, they're so Something awesome. Them, they're yeah. just so perfect. They're just, they're so holy. And, and you've, and you've, you've erred in the fact that you've made them like they've arrived. Mm-hmm. Nobody's arrived. Yeah. I don't know if people do that to us at high praises because we're pastors. A lot of times people look up pastors. Pastors have to fight their flesh just like everybody else. Yeah. They have to fight the influence of the world. The devil's working on them. Paul said he battled constantly. He said, mm. I have to beat my flesh and bring it under submission. Yeah, he, discipline his, himself. His, his greatest fear is that he said, I may win everybody else and lose myself. Mm. So th- there is this this process but the Holy Spirit inside of you is transforming your life. He's convicting you when you sin so that you'll repent of it. He's producing the fruit of the Spirit, which ultimately is Christ-like. Because if you think the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, long-suffering, are characteristics of Jesus, um, he purifies your will. He purifies your body. He enables you to be holy. Uh, but at the same time, God doesn't make us robots who only do good and never do evil, and I'm doing my robot, you know, always do right. Do you, you, you ever notice that the Bible says you pursue holiness? Yeah. You pursue righteousness? Mm-hmm. It, it's something you have to chase after. You know, what, are, what are the laws, and then the laws of physics, where either something's, you know, either the, the force, either something's being, what, what is that law? Acting upon or being acted acting upon. Acting upon, Yeah. It, that's kind of how it is in your your walk with God. It's it's never passive. You know, mm-hmm. I think some people want to live for Jesus passively, which we're going to talk about in a second. John Wesley told people to wait. They were these enthusiasts in his day who were trying to be extra holy, but what they were doing is they just weren't doing anything. They're quietists. They're just sitting there, and they thought God's going to save me and make me holy this way because the Bible says, wait on the Lord. (laughs) And John tells them, yes, we wait, but we wait in the means of grace. We wait at church. We wait in the word. We wait where God promises himself to be. We don't lock ourselves in a room, shut our minds off, and just expect God to do something. Kind of like a monastery. where he's found himself to be. Yeah, like the monks. They would... At least they were praying, though. <laughs> right. But they would close. Well, not the ones who took the vow of silence. Well, yeah. They'd yeah. have been quiet as two. Um, you, you just, if I can block the world out. Well, let me say it again. Okay, so you've got rid of the, the world, but the devil could get in that monastery. And the, and, and your flesh, you'll still fight your you flesh. that wherever you go. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, think, I think it is, uh, you, you make it a priority. You know, you make living for Jesus and pursuing Jesus, it, and holiness becomes. Uh, let me just say this: in our own doctrine, we say we believe holiness to be God's standard of living for His people, and mm-hmm. I think that's worth saying on this episode. What's your standard of living? Yeah, what is it? I'm at, I'm asking our listeners what what is your moral compass? What what is what is ground zero for you when it comes to right and wrong? You you should have a standard of holiness. These are things you will not. Compromise. These are these are the things that create convictions for you, and they should be based on the Word of God, and, and it, they should be things that ultimately make you like Jesus. Okay, you shun the wrong, you do the right, you strive for victory over sin. You, and we're probably going to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, here, yeah. <laughs> yeah you do. are, but you're doing yeah, good. <laughs> but but again, it is there is a there is you have to do your part, and yeah, and I think we need to say this. Okay. You don't work for your salvation because that's another thing. You work out your salvation. <laughs> right. Say that. Say you work that out your salvation. It comes out of your salvation. You don't work for it. No. You work out your salvation. There, there's like, you, you have to understand that everything you do in obedience to God is not out of servile fear, but out of free love. If you were working for your own salvation, then your working isn't even good because every act of love you do for your neighbor is actually a selfish work for yourself so that you can get saved. Exactly. It's not out of free love to help your neighbor, but it's out of fear of God's punishment. Exactly. And so if if you aren't first saved by the righteousness of Christ alone, first safe, secure, and everything he's done, then even your good works— aren't even, they're miles away from being anything good because now everything for the good of my neighbor is really just for the good of myself. Exactly. That's really good. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. I I was just sitting here thinking because some of the criticisms of, especially the Wesleyan Armenian view of of holiness, 
uh, and sanctification has been that we work for our salvation. Absolutely not. And we don't believe that. Now, and again, Arminian may have, but we're we're kind of a blend. Our theology, when we always say Western Arminian, we're a blend. There's some things we don't take of it and some we do. But none of us, you, me, most Pentecostals I know don't, we don't believe you work for yourself. We, we believe sanctification is a result of the saving work of Jesus Christ. That is the natural outflow of what God has done in me. Mm-hmm. That it is a continuation of what he has begun in me. That's right. And it's an expectation of God. And I think that's the thing. You know, what's your, what's your expectation? What do you think are God's expectations for you? Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't get it, Evan, when there are people who say, I'm saved, but then they live ways and say things and do things. I'm thinking, I couldn't say and do those things. First of all, because I think it's wrong. Second of all, I would be under conviction. Yeah. I never have understood it. How can you do that? And not feel the piercing, pricking of the Holy Ghost when you get done saying, I don't like that. Because you would be grieving him at this point. Exactly. And I'm like, well, how can you do that? Because if I did that, I would immediately, I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, that is wrong. I don't mm-hmm. like that. Don't you do that. Why is that not happening to you? Well, it's not because we're different. There's something there that's not right. Mm-hmm. Because if he's convicting me, he ought to be convicting you. So... I think the thing is, I want to please God. That's good. And I think that's what, you know, people, why do you live? Because I, I want to please God. I don't want anything to come between me and God. Yeah. That's the way you should look at this. I love him. So Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you fear me, keep my commandments. Now, there should that's be right. a holy fear of God. You're mm-hmm. stupid if you don't have a holy fear yes. of God. You're stupid. Okay. Woo, you're, you're in dangerous ground. You're in a minefield. But we don't mean to fear as if we are sinners still in the world under God's wrath. No. That's but, why perfect love casts out fear. Exactly. But no, the fear that's a holy reverence and yes. awe, yes, yes. an awe of God. Knowing that if I do cross that line and surrender my salvation... Wrath and judgment is yes, waiting for. He's me. the righteous. I'm not judge. under it now because I'm in Christ, but I could be. <laughs> right, but Jesus said, "Love me, yeah, keep my commandments." And so I, I want to keep the commandments because I love Him. And I, it's like you know, you and I are married. Uh, your mom, I don't want to do anything that would that would hinder our relationship. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to do anything that would cause difficulty mm-hmm. or make her hurt or make her you know, not want to talk to me or, or make you know, she's upset. We try to avoid those things. When they're there, I have to. We talk it out. I say I'm sorry. We re- so that's why. It, boy, if anything in this lesson today, this podcast, if this could just get across, is you know, all you holding is people. Why y'all hold? Because we love Jesus, and we just don't want sin or anything wrong to get in the way between me and Jesus. And if I love something or doing something or somebody in this world more than Jesus, it's going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. And so it's not because. You know, we think we're better than everybody else. No, it's just, we we love the Lord too much. That's good. Okay. That's real good. We need to hurry just for the sake of time. I want to read um, this passage here before we go into the next uh, portion, because I think it's going to help us later. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as we talk about who is the key person transforming us, it's the Spirit of the Lord within us. How do we see ourselves? It's in a mirror. And I would bet that a mirror in Paul's day was not as clean and as nice as our mirrors. And so the way that we see ourselves, the image that we project of God's glory is God's glory, but probably a little bit still It's a work in progress. It's still not perfect. And then that's why God is transforming us into the same image from glory to glory, from glory to glory. That speaks progress to me, progression. That's That's it. Is that every day there's a work in me. Every week I'm a little more like Christ, a little less like me, a little bit more like him. And, and, And that's why... If you see somebody that's really got it together and you look at yourself and you say, man, I've got so many areas in my life, don't be discouraged. It's a process. That's good. Just stay committed to the process and let him change you. A year from now, you'll be better than what you were last year. I tell, year. I tell people all the time, you know, we, we, you have to stick with the, the analogy and the reality. God says we're born again. And when you're born, you're a baby. 
like you have, a little August. Yeah, he's immature. He can't do anything. He just eats and sleeps and poops and pees. He can't do anything. And when you're a Christian, spiritually, it's kind of the same way. You're born again. You're an infant. And so you have to, you know, as Paul tells the Hebrews, you do have to drink of, you know, the milk of the basic doctrines first. You you have to be simple. You're going to grow but then the expectation is that as you receive from God, you'll get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger and a little bit more mature and be able to do a little bit more things here and there. And then you'll grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, you so grow. be patient with yourself. Exactly. So now we need to ask, where do I go to be sanctified? If it's God who sanctifies me, where do I find God? And so I listed a few here. I said the law of God, and you should go back and listen to our episode on the law as a guide, the third use of the law. Um, the law is a guide for Christians, how to live their lives and how to be holy. So Romans thirteen eight through 10 teaches us to love one another because the one who loves one another has filled, fulfilled the law. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So the law of God, the 10 commandments teaches us how to love, how to be sanctified. And I would just say the Bible Period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just, and then just even We're going to get there, though. Yeah, okay. Um, the church, so in Ephesians 4, 9 through 16, Paul tells us how, like, the various word ministries in the church, you know, like the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, all those good people. Um, and he basically says their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. So it is the church itself being a part of church, being a part of the church community, um, being around people with spiritual gifts. We actually build one another up. So those with the word ministry equip the saints. But we know of Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians, those who exercise their spiritual gifts, whether it's prophecy or healing or tongues and interpretation or mercy or whatever, um, and that they have love, 1 Corinthians 13, they're actually building up the church. And so in 2022 now, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a committed church member, but if you're not, you need church. You cannot grow up to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. You can't grow into spiritual maturity without the church. You can't do it, period, in the sentence. Don't apologize for it. You're going to stunt your growth. You literally need other people. Yep. You have go cut your foot off, cut your leg off, and see if it does well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't separate yourself from the body and expect health. And so you need you need the church. Uh, uh, we can't even say that stress that <laughs> enough because so many people are just saying I watch online or I don't need to go or I'll show up every once in a while. And you're around your work people five days a week. You're around your neighborhood. You're around your friends. But if if you're not around godly people. The church, your church community, mm-hmm. it is sucking the life, spiritual life out of you. If you're wondering yep. why you're struggling spiritually, uh, man, just I mean, maybe we haven't done a well enough job of helping people. Maybe they just people think church is a place to go, but church is a pe- place to belong. Yeah, the people make up the church, and the relationships and the people you know will build you build you up just as much as the the worship together or the 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 preaching and and the, the other wonderful things that are podcast like this you need it all that's yeah. the point you need it all you know and and that's why I included here I, I just put the means of grace so in Acts chapter two right the church is literally just born essentially uh, Peter preaches three thousand people get saved what's the first thing these folks do they meet for the apostles doctrine for fellowship for the breaking of bread and for prayer and these people were holy. These people were selling their land and giving it away to the church. These people were loving one another, having one another over for meals. So like a crazy holy church, the first thing they do, doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. So the scriptures are fit to teach us, train us, correct us, build us up. The community, the fellowship builds us up with spiritual gifts. Pretty sure the breaking of bread has to do with the Lord's Supper as we commune with one another and with God. And then prayer is going to God and asking specifically for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we go to God and ask from him, he responds and he makes us holy. And so wait on the Lord, 
But please listen to Mr. Wesley. Wait in the means of grace. Wait where God has promised to be in his word, in his church, in prayer. Wait there and expect God to sanctify you. And then finally, we've got discipline. And I think this is important. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, 1 Corinthians nine twenty seven. Paul says, instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Um, he's like genuinely concerned about being disqualified, about you know apostatizing. So he exercises self-control in everything. And here, you know, Paul's refusing his rights to essentially not have to work while he's working at these churches. So that's kind of a, um, what am I trying to say? A, a circumstantial choice of self-denial. We can make those choices every day, but something you can do every day without anybody else around you is you can fast. I think fasting is kind of the principal way of choosing self-denial where I deny myself my basic bodily needs. And I say, you know, you know, I can't live on bread alone, but you know, every word that comes from the mouth of God, God, I need you. I need you. And that's how we crucify ourselves and and become holy to God. All right. Two more things we kind of uh, have touched on earlier. What about the extent of sanctification? So am I perfect or am I imperfect until death? Which one of it is it? I'm going to say that I'm imperfect until death, but you know, maybe there's some folks out there who think they've made it. (laughs) Maybe I'm in your camp. Uh, I think, I think you can sin. I think you shouldn't sin. And I think you can go all day without sinning. Yes. Uh, I have met people. I, I don't like the extremes. So you have you don't meet very many people who think that you can reach that point of perfection. First of all, the word perfect is never used in the Bible the way we use the word perfect. It always means mature or complete. Complete, yeah. Does it mean like you're perfect and is sinless? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Only one that's sinless is Christ. So the, you, you, there is a camp that says you can reach a state of perfection to where, yes, you can sin, but you just don't anymore. And every day you just don't sin. You've re- you've arrived. I just don't buy the arrival thing. I haven't met anybody who's arrived. Okay. The camp that is more popular, I do not like either, is the camp that says um, you're going to sin every day. They don't say you might. They say you're going to sin every day. Uh, for- forgive us, Lord, our many sins. They're the guys that pray, forgive us, Lord, every day. Forgive us, Lord, our many sins. I'm like, what have you done today? You know, it's like they're already assuming I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, I'm just a sinner, which is a contradiction in terms. But they just, every day I'm going to sin. It's just going to happen. I'm like, well, that's great. You know, there's no, what a low standard. So I I don't like either one of those. I think you, you, you can sin, you should not sin, and you can live above sin. That that's is that simple enough? I think that's simple enough, and I think we need to qualify it because there are some folks that are like antinomians, like you're talking about, and they mean like literally, like I'm going to say things, I'm going to do things, I'm going to consciously, willfully sin every day, and then there are other people that are like, nope, I've made it, I'm perfect. I think, I think maybe a, a more reasonable balance is Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's prayer every day, forgive us our trespasses, right. I think as a Christian, there are ways in which we sin every day that I do not mean to say that we willfully, consciously, high-handedly reject God and walk into sin every day. But there are probably sins of omission, things that we should have done that we didn't do. I think that we can say things like the first commandment tells us to love God like above all things. Well, can any any of us sit down and really say, okay, in my life every day, I literally love God more than anything ever at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, you know, without, so I don't want it to seem like it's impossible. I think, yes, you can. So I think you can. And, and I'm, I'm the older guy. When you're younger, I think you're more idealistic. The older you get, you really realize how hard it is to do this how often you failed because I got a longer track record. So usually on my, that's why when Jesus caught the woman in adultery and he said he was without sin, cast the first stone. You remember it wasn't the youngest ones that left. It was the oldest beginning with the yes, oldest. Absolutely. <laughs> the people who had lived long enough and, and messed up enough times yeah. said, no, not me. Yes. And they walk, you know, then the young guys were standing around ready to throw <laughs> stones. Like where'd everybody go? So yeah, but, but here, look, you can get up in the morning 
You can go to work, you can live your life, go to bed, and not sin. That should be the norm. That's what I'm saying. That should be the norm every day of your life where you can go to bed and say, today I serve the Lord. The Holy Spirit didn't convict me. I didn't do anything wrong. I agree with that. That should be the norm. I think that's what Wesley calls sin so properly called because everybody got on his case for saying that God could sanctify you to this point, which is that God does a work in you where you can get to that point where you you aren't doing those kind of hot... You, you have no conscious understanding that you have sinned. Right, the and I think that's what God expects of us. Okay, yes. the Bible says in 1 John, I write these things unto you, brethren, that you sin not. That's the King James Version, which is why I memorized it. So I write these things to you that you don't sin. Mm-hmm. So that's the standard. Don't sin. So if if the standard is there, I must be able to live it. The Holy Spirit inside of me helps me. He said, but if anyone sins, so there's the there's the caveat that, Sometimes we are going to sin. We, mm-hmm. that we walk through this world and we get our feet dirty. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and he is our propitiation and the atoning sacrifice. We have an advocate and an atoning sacrifice for when we do sin. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, Peter said, wash my hands and my, my head. And Jesus said, no, he who has washed is clean, save his feet. Mm-hmm. So as we walk through this world, sometimes we get our feet muddy. And so that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you got to go repent and say, God, I'm sorry. And I think the Holy Spirit will convict you. But no, I don't believe that sanctification. I think sanctification is a process. Yes. I think it's more and more. I think that's where you get the glory to glory. And I and I think that um, that that I need to always... Keep myself at a place, Evan, that that I'm sensitive to God, and when I say or do something wrong, if he convicts me, I need to be aware of that. I need to say, this displeases God, even if it's a habit, even if it's learned behavior. My daddy does it. My mother does it. My uncle does it. My best friend does it. But man, God is convicting me, telling me I'm not supposed to do this. The world does it. My coworkers do it. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's where sanctification is saying, I'm setting you apart from them. I'm setting you apart unto me. Okay, so I don't care if the world does it. I don't care if your daddy does it, your uncle does it, your brother does it. I'm telling you not to do it. Yeah. Okay, but what happens is we live in our culture. Sometimes I know Christians that you get a bunch of Christians together and they'll do things that are wrong. They'll talk wrong. They've just learned yeah. how to, we got an understanding that it's okay if you use profanity. So you can GD this and go to hell that and get all these. And they do that and they say it's okay and they all claim to be saved. And I just read James this week in my reading, my own personal reading, and James said that fresh water and bitter water can't come out of the same fountain. So how do you bless God and then turn around and curse man? I was about to say, worse yet, talking talking bad about people behind their back, gossiping, slandering other people, letting hatred and malice and wrong Come out of your mouth, and then you justify it and say, your neighbor, and it's okay for me. Mm-mm. No, sanctification. The work of sanctification is where the Holy Spirit deals with you about those things and says, "We need to do some cleaning up, clean up aisle five. Absolutely. Um, very, very quickly. I think we've kind of touched it. Let's hit one um, short verse, and I think the Galatians one would be great. And then we're going to uh, wrap up. Um. Um, let's read about the fruit of the Spirit. And um, Paul says in, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 26, this is a good picture of the sanctified life. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And so if you want a simple picture of what is the sanctified life, the, the principle is the Spirit who crucifies our flesh with Christ 
And then now we are, we can make the decision to live out of our crucifixion that just as we have been crucified with Christ every day, I choose to be crucified with Christ. Just as I've, you know, been buried with him, I choose to be buried with him every day. I have to wake up and choose to drown Adam and let Christ come out and kill my flesh and then let the fruit of the spirit take place. Don't live who you aren't anymore. Live who you are. Absolutely. In Christ. Well, look, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Like, rate, subscribe, send this to somebody who needs it, all the good things. And we will see you back in a couple of weeks. 